all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit provides information on how you can lead a healthy lifestyle. I'm the host, Josie Bidwell. Search for and subscribe to Southern Remedy on any podcasting app to not miss any episode. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy Women's Health, where we discuss issues involving women's health. I'm Dr. Jasmine Kinsey, Assistant Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at UMMC, and today I have on with me Dr. Ha Fan, who is a clinical pharmacist at UMMC, and she's going to be discussing diabetes with us this morning. So welcome, Ha. Thanks for having me. Yes, and happy Friday to everybody. I always start my show off with happy Friday because to me, Fridays are typically very happy. We get to go into the weekend. And if you live in the Jackson metro area, the fair is going on. So I guess if you haven't had a chance to get out, you'll get a chance to go this weekend. The rain, I think, may have passed. I'm not sure. I I actually didn't see the weather this morning. That's sad. (laughs) I think we've had our first strain of like less than 80. Yes. Popping up, so... So it's been nice. It, it, it feel like we have like a true fall right now, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. kind of sort of like I actually cleaned out the kids like clothes and I had to pull out sweatshirts and yeah. actually long put sleeves. Paint. Yes, long <laughs> sleeves. Are you going to be are you going to be cold? Yes, I actually have my long sleeves on today because yeah. I'm cold nature. But yeah. and next week, I think it's going to be in the 40s. Mm-hmm. For lows, I, yeah. So, so yes. Yeah, so happy Friday, everybody. As I mentioned, if you were here for the introduction, um, we are going to be talking about diabetes today. And I always kind of start the show off just with a little bit of background. And as I said, about 10 percent of the population is ultimately affected by diabetes, but there is a belief that about 23% of adults with diabetes are not currently diagnosed, that there are people walking around with the disease and are unaware of it. And so I have on um, Dr. Ha Fan, as I mentioned, she's a clinical pharmacist. But Ha, if you don't mind just taking a few moments and telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Yeah, I can do that. So uh, one of my roles, I feel like all both of us wear lots of hats, but um, one of my roles is that I am the pharmacist for y'all's clinic um, out at Grants Ferry. So what I do is that I collaborate with y'all, all of our providers, um, and um, basically you tell us what the patient has, and then I just try to help optimize the medications or um, follow up like very closely with the patients in terms of if we need any titrations of medicines or like increasing, decreasing medications. So that's where this comes in with diabetes in terms of what we do. We have a lot of patients that um, we work with for um, maybe um, where they're on insulin and things like that. But even on the front end, like you said, some people are walking at, walking around undiagnosed or maybe newly diagnosed. So working with those patients, too, to provide the education and give them that information so that, you know, we, we can be as preventative as, as possible. 
Right. And and as always, most of my guests are a little modest. So Ha, ha can be modest as well. So tell us a little bit about so everyone, you know, we know a lot of pharmacists go to pharma, you know, pharmacy school and, mm-hmm. and are well versed in medications. And we have pharmacists that work in hospitals and nursing homes. And mm-hmm. many of you in the community interact with our retail pharmacists mm-hmm. at a lot of our pharmacies. But tell us a little bit more about your training, particularly in diabetes. Yeah, yeah. So um, my first year of residency that I did in Baltimore, Maryland, it was outpatient based because I knew that I, I wasn't very interested in doing inpatient things. So I stayed mostly out, outpatient. And there I did a lot of different experiences from infertility um, to a diabetes clinic, um, as well as like an anticoagulation clinic. So I did a lot of clinics my first year. And that kind of sparked my interest to do even more clinics and be more of a jack of all trades mm-hmm. and have more of an outpatient interest. So I came here and did my second year at the University of Mississippi School of Pharmacy, where I did um, different clinics every day from family medicine, internal medicine, um, and cardiometabolic, everything in between. So that's where I really got a lot of diabetes diabetes experience from moving from somewhere like Maryland to here, um, where a lot of our patients, you know, live with diabetes. So I got a lot of experience that second year. And then from there, you know, I think since we see so many patients with diabetes, I was like, what can, what else can I help our patients with? So um, since I also work in the pediatric endocrinology clinic, I, I think there's just such a strong value to just having education as the patient and learning Mm -hmm. more about what it is that's going on with my body and how you can prevent it or, you know, work with your body and, you know, work on your health in different ways, not just taking medicine too. So I pursued um, something called a uh, certified diabetes education specialist, like certification. So that's just extra letters behind all of our titles (laughs) to say that I learned more about providing that type of education to patients. So, yeah. So I do I do all of that. So diabetes is definitely something that we do a lot of in our clinic and um, something that I enjoy helping patients with. Yes. And I have and I tell Ha this all the time that when she arrived to our life clinic, I meant to our clinic, it has been life changing for me as a provider because um, we have really gotten the opportunity to work as a team. And so I get to see them in clinic and um, Dr. Fan helps me a lot with follow ups in between the visits. So all that to say is um, definitely a collaboration. And uh, today we'll talk a lot about not just the diagnosis of diabetes, but really kind of diving into the management because it is so confusing right now. There are so many new medications that Mm -hmm. are out. There are so many new warnings and side effects. Mm -hmm. And so it's very scary as a patient to kind of know what the right thing to do is. So I just want to remind you guys that we are open to taking your calls or any comments that you have, you know, your calls for questions and comments. So we'll just kind of dive right in just as a reminder uh, that diabetes, of course, has more than one type. So when people are talking about diabetes, I'll spend most of today talking about type two diabetes. Um, but just to give people an idea, probably the most simplistic way I think of it, I guess, um, how when I'm thinking about it is type one diabetes is usually more of a insulin deficiency. So you see that in your younger patients. So Ha sees that in her pediatric endocrine clinic a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, that their pancreas or the cells of their pancreas are not able to make insulin like it's supposed to. And it's usually from an autoimmune, a 
effect, meaning your body attacks your pank, those cells, the beta cells is what we call them of your pancreas, and your pancreas cannot make the insulin. So that's type one. Mm-hmm. Um, our type two diabetes, which is what most patients are, is when you have what we call insulin resistance. So your body is making the insulin. However, your your cells in your body is not responding to the insulin appropriately. Um, and so those are most of our adults that are ultimately diagnosed with diabetes is type 2 diabetes. Now, there are other types of diabetes, mm-hmm. uh, which endocrinologists <laughs> will dive into. Yes. There's, you know, 1.5, yep. <laughs> those mm-hmm. types of things. But we'll keep it general with the kind of two major categories of type 1 and type 2. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those are the ones that um, we, we typically look at the difference in between those two. And it looks like we've already got our first caller. So we've got Miss Evelyn, um, who's in the Jackson area. Good morning, Miss Evelyn. Good morning. I actually have a scenario that I'd like um, medical providers to to think about. Um, I have a friend who has a fear of blood, so and she's a diabetic. Suggesting to her that she take her blood sugar three times a day is not going to happen. I mean, you can tell her and she can't do it. So I think it's important for medical providers to to ask, you know, will you be comfortable taking a, a blood sample? Because if not, you know, we have some sensors that are more expensive, but uh, that can help with that and... Uh, and I just remember, you know, because I am a type 2 diabetic, when I was first told I had to take my blood sugar and everything, I got the, the kit and uh, read the instructions. I remember my husband sat down with me and all of that. I just think, you know, having a little more education on the front end of like, okay, generally a kit has a lancet and a a meter in it, and generally this is what you do. And I had three sons, and they were all like, they had seen all the ads, and they were like, oh, it hurts so much. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, guys, pricking your finger doesn't hurt. And eventually they got to the point where they said, oh, prick mine, you know, so I can tell. And, and uh, you know, and I remember when I was first placed on an injectable insulin, uh, they they. Nobody walked me through my first injection or anything, mm-hmm. and I think it's important because the same friend, she's terrified of, of, of shots. So yes, ma'am. She's terrified of seeing blood, and she's terrified of shots. Uh, kind of hard for her to control her in uh, her blood sugars, given that. So I think what y'all do with your patients is very important in terms of just. How do you use the equipment? Mm-hmm. Are you comfortable with using the equipment? Those sorts of things. And, yes, ma'am. And, uh, you know, and also in terms of diet, don't tell us what we can't eat. Tell us what we can. I agree that, you know, reminding patients what they, you know, because it's very hard to eliminate things that you've been eating all your life. And so trying to find ways and strategies to enjoy the things that you've had, maybe just not as often or as much, you know. Yeah. Or, or just, you know, I can basically have all the meat I want to and all the vegetables I want to. Now, it was a shock for me that green peas are a carb. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, know, yeah. uh, you know, so there are a few vegetables that are not as 
that have more carbs in them and stuff. But mm-hmm. you know, telling me I can ha- I can eat all the meat I want to, and you know, and my mother looks at me when I put a whole bunch of whipping cream on my small slice of pie at Thanksgiving, and I look back at her and I say that whipping cream has a lot of fat in it, but it ain't got no carbs. <sighs> Right. You're exactly right. And trying to find ways to enjoy things that you already have in a different way. Yes, ma'am. But thank you for what y'all do. We appreciate it. Well, thank you, Miss Evelyn. I appreciate your comment this morning. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, she brings up an excellent point about clinic and education. And so, again, why I talk about a hobby and life changing in our clinic, because she has, you know, usually if I have a newly diagnosed diabetic, I grab hot and I say, hey, hi, I got somebody for you um, that is able to go in the room and educate our patients on how to use the equipment. And for patients out there, you know, communicate with that, that with your doctor. If you're very nervous, a lot of our patients we offer, you know, how will come in um, other of some of our other clinics will have nursing only visits and we tell we send the prescription and we say let's go pick up your insulin pick up your supplies bring them back and we're going to walk you through it yeah and then also um your community pharmacists like when you pick up those things you know, they usually do have a note to say, hey, let me make sure we show them how to use these things. But don't be afraid to ask. Like, they'll 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 make the time to be able to explain those things to you if, if they have the time or they'll refer, you know, you back to us if they need to. But they also can make the time to educate as well. We really just kind of got to talk a little bit about what uh, Ha does in our clinic and the differences between type 1 and type 2 diabetes. Um, and we'll just kind of um, briefly talk about what, how do we diagnose diabetes? So what is a diagnosis of diabetes, Ha? Yeah, so I think it could be two ways. You could do lab work or you present with symptoms, I feel like are the main two ways. So I think in our setting, we probably find a lot more via lab work. And then some people might be complaining of the symptoms. So sometimes it's a little bit of both. So I think in order in order to confirm the diagnosis, we usually need that lab work. So something that's usually measured is something called like a glucose is what we, we get a lab on and we can get a glucose as well as something called an A1C is another way um, to get these lab values to confirm a diagnosis of diabetes or something called prediabetes like we m- may have brought up. Um, another way that you could do... Um, a diagnosis is through something called an oral glucose tolerance test, which isn't used very often. Um, It's more um, how it works is that you drink a lot of glucose and then you get your sugar checked every, every so often. And if your numbers are above a certain point, that's with the, um, you know, that comes the diagnosis of diabetes. But if your numbers are not above a certain point, then, you know, that would confirm um, that diabetes is not um, the diagnosis. Um, I didn't know, did you want us to go through specific numbers or just general no, labs? I think general yeah. labs. And so usually, you know, if your A1C is greater than 6.5, then mm-hmm. that does in fact give you the diagnosis of diabetes versus a finger stick glucose of greater than mm-hmm. 126. So mm-hmm. there's like, like uh, Ha said, there's more than one way to make the diagnosis of diabetes. Um, one, typically the finger stick, you have to be fasting yeah. um, versus a one C, you don't have to be fasting. Everyone's like, I ate this morning. I knew you were going to check my A1C, so we can't get it today. No, that's that's actually a misconception. Mm-hmm. A1C, um, you don't have to be fasting to um, to 
to get that diagnosis. Yeah. And what is A1C? I think uh, us giving a little bit of background on that um, is that it's an average of um, your blood sugars over the last three months. So I think something that some of us may do, which I, I might be guilty of it too. But, you know, if I know that my doctor's appointment's coming up, I might kind of start cutting out things at a certain point. Um, but I think it's an average of the last three months. So um, it, it's a pretty, it's a good marker of where our blood sugars are kind of landing over the last three months. Right. And so Ha brings up a great point. So I get that a lot. People start kind of getting things together a couple of weeks before their appointment. Your A1C tells me what's really been going on the past three months, guys. <laughs> so that's what I tell people. They're like, no, you know, when I tell them their A1C is elevated, they're like, well, you know what? Last week we went on a trip. I'm like, no, no, no. This tells me what you were doing a couple of months ago, too, not yeah. just last week on the trip. So um, it definitely gives us a, a good idea. Well, looks like we have our next caller. We've got um, John on the line. Good morning, John. Uh, good morning. How are you um, this morning? I, I'm, oh, I'm very well. And you all? How good, are you? All? Good. 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 Um, I, I wanted to uh, pose a challenge to to both doctors, and you know, words have meaning. And I've discussed this with Dr. Rick and and uh, uh, Dr. Jimmy uh, in the past, uh, uh, you know, extensively, but. You you all are, are still making the same singular plural mistake in Tamale, uh, uh you know, uh, pronunciation wise, and um, uh, you know your your definitions of type one diabetes and type two diabetes were spot on and clear and concise. However, every time you said type one diabetes, you said type one diabetes and type two diabetes, which is the plural version of the word that is spelled the same as diabetes. It's got an ES on the end. So it's understandable how people, you know, mix up those two singular and uh, plural pronunciations, but it's important to not mix them up when you're talking about one disease versus the other. And, um, you know, the majority of people have type 2 diabetes, and, um, you know, that's primarily what you're talking about today so you know that's that's really all i wanted to you know pose to you to see if you can go through the rest of the show being clear and 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 please don't use the cop out of diabetic and diabetics you know that that's that's the substitution that uh that, you know that that is often done when when you're having to think on your feet you know please make the plural and and singular pronunciations clear and, and concise also, like you did with your definitions. All right. Well, John, I promise I'll try, but I can't yeah. <laughs> say that I'll be successful, but I appreciate you clearing that up for us. All right. And so we were talking a little bit about the ultimate diagnosis of the, of of diabetes in general. And so that was if you actually have the diagnosis, but we do have a separate category called prediabetes. Mm -hmm. So what's the difference between the two? Yeah. So I think um, prediabetes is more the stage 
basically before diabetes. So um, it's uh, if we are going by numbers and diagnosis and all of that, uh, the A1C is usually less than 6.5 and greater than 5.7. So it's in that small range. um, And that's usually what I go off of. Mm -hmm. And and then I know we're going to talk about medication in a little bit and what meds could be used during that time frame. Um, But that's usually, I guess, the I don't want I want to call it the precursor, but it is sort of the before diabetes and an opportunity to have a lot of changes if you if exactly and, and really go be more preventative. I completely agree. And that's kind of why, you know, we kind of and some people will say uh, pre-diabetes or some will say impaired glucose uh, tolerance. So they're really using that term interchangeably. But in clinic, I like, you know, I feel like when we talk about prediabetes in my patients, a light bulb goes off. Like mm-hmm. I've got to get this together so mm-hmm. that we don't progress. Yeah. Um, because what is your probably greatest risk of progressing to diabetes is having a diagnosis of a prediabetes. Yeah. Um, and so um, it definitely, I think it becomes a wake up call for some of my patients um, in general. And so those are typically how we go about the diagnosis um, between the two. And, Additionally, sometimes, you know, when people fall in that we talk about type one um, diabetes being a essentially for a younger population versus type two. But other things that we can look at is I mentioned before that type one, you're usually talking about autoimmune. So there is blood work where you can look for different antibodies in the body. And so that's not something that's always done. But if the picture's not clear, sometimes your doctor may recommend that you do some other things. Yeah. And sometimes those even after getting those, the picture's still not clear. This is true. <laughs> this is very true. Uh-huh. Um, and so just to kind of comment a little bit about uh, what Evelyn mentioned, our first caller is about trying to figure out. So these are lab tests that we can do in our um, clinic. But how about checking at home when we tell patients to check their blood sugars at home and mm-hmm. what they're doing? Evelyn brought up a great point. There are a lot of people that are afraid of blood mm-hmm. and those types of things. But we have excellent options now so um of of other ways to monitor them so how will you tell us a little bit more about those yeah so what um miss evelyn was uh, referring to earlier something called a continuous glucose monitor um so there's a couple on the market um the two that are mainly used, so one is called Freestyle Libre. Um, so you might be more familiar with that one because it looks like a the size of like a quarter and it typically goes on your arm. Um, and they had a new one come out the last couple of months um, that's called the Libre 3, which is a continuous monitor. Um, the Libre 2, um, the previous version, uh, was not continuous. You had to scan uh, with a, some sort of device, whether a smartphone or something called a reader, to get the number um, and know what your, your sugar is at that time. So it is nice that now it's continuous and it, it just reads as long as it's close enough to a device that can read it uh, continuously. Um, the other thing about that patch that you do apply to your, um, like usually the your arm, or the upper back of your arm, um, is that for the Libre, it can stay on for 14 days. So you can shower with it, you can get in the pool, you know, all that. I think of that because I work with kids. So, you know, Mm -hmm. they're always worried, can I get in the pool during the summer? Um, But yes, so you can shower with it and go underwater with it. Obviously, with time constraints, we can't stay there for hours and hours, but it can go through all of that. 
Um, so that's the Libre. And then the Dexcom. So the G7 is the newest one. Um, this one is continuous as well. Typically, this one actually can also be applied to the arm now. So that's nice. Um, before, the, the G6 was usually applied to the abdomen area. Um, this one's a little different because it's applied every 10 days. Um, and in terms of like if you're trying to pick between the two, honestly, at least from my perspective, it just depends on what works best for you because now they're both continuous. Um, you know, they both can stay on there for a pretty decent amount of time. Um, and then, because um, in terms of like accuracy and things like that, I feel like at this point, they're both pretty. About the same. Yeah, okay. about the same. Um, and, it, and maybe it might come down to cost and what your insurance covers. Sometimes um, insurance doesn't cover any, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, they have different criteria that, that they put forth um, in terms of, it depends how many injections of uh, insulin you may be on per day. Um, it just depends on the insurance company. But I know for some plans, th- honestly, at least in our clinic, I say just send it and then we figure out what it costs and go from there mm-hmm. and g- give everyone the option. Um, if it's too expensive, we'll go from there But and stick with finger sticks. But um, if, if it's affordable to that person, then that's a good option. Then definitely them. what yeah. we go for. And who does that information go to? Like, does it go to their smartphone or computer? Oh, yeah, or how question. does that how does that work? Yeah, so you have apps on your phone that it, it goes to you. So you can see all of it um, for yourself so that you can make different changes. So like if you look at your numbers, let's say before a meal, and you're like, oh, looks pretty good. And then after the meal, you're like, hmm. <laughs> well, you know, not immediately after, but if you're looking, thinking like two hours later, you kind of glance at the number and it's still pretty high. It might help you decide, you know, what's something that works well for you mm-hmm. and your diabetes or what might not work so well. Um, so it, it the information is shared with yourself ultimately, but you can have the option to share it with your providers like us. Um, so we do have a couple patients at our clinic that share their information with us and it helps us do more informed decision making in terms of uh, changing um, like doses of medications and things like that. Or the other thing that it's actually really nice for is if we're worried about the other end, if that you're getting too much medicine mm-hmm. and your numbers are getting too low, that you're starting to have some kind of uh, symptoms of having a low sugar, something known as hypoglycemia, which I know we didn't cover too much of, but that's usually typically occurs when your numbers are too low. Um, you might have some like shaking um, or like feel a little lightheaded and things like that, but that's correctable. Um, but going back to the CGM, that does help us um, further, like predict those earlier so that mm-hmm. we can do something about it and make adjustments to medicine. Right. Because there are some patients that run low and they don't always have symptoms. And those are usually the patients that I worry about <laughs> yeah. when, you don't, when you don't know that you're running too low. But it's also nice because I, I laugh all the time because I'm like, everyone forgets the paper. When <laughs> I tell, when I give people a paper and I'm like, write it down on this, like people mm-hmm. forget the paper. So the continuous glucose monitors are wonderful because no one forgets their phone when they come to the clinic. Yeah. Um, and so usually you're able to kind of pull it up um, yes. for you. And for those that are doing finger sticks, I usually try to encourage you to use your phone as well because a lot of people leave the paper at house. But if you're old school, I have an old school paper <laughs> planner that I still use. I have my color-coded markers, whole nine yards. But if you're a paper person, that's fine. But if you're not, just put it in your phone. There's yeah. lots of wonderful apps to use so yes. that you kind of have all those numbers so your doctor can help you kind of find the best uh, regimen for you when you're trying to ultimately manage your diabetes. From MPBT, 
Think Radio. This is Southern Remedy Women's Health. I'm Dr. Jasmine Kinsey, Assistant Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at UMMC. And today I have on with me Dr. Ha Fan, who is a clinical pharmacist at UMMC as well. And we have just been diving a little bit into diabetes. And so now we're going to take the time to really kind of dive into now I've been diagnosed. Um, and I think the biggest thing I get from patients is I don't want medicine. And mm-hmm. that's fair. So I tell a lot of my patients, you know, depending on where you're A1C falls really determines how we start to manage our patients. So nine times out of 10, if you're coming in and your A1Cs are in the two digits, 10 or above or things like that, you're the kind of person that I want to be aggressive on the front end, get your blood sugars down so we don't have you feeling bad. And then if we can peel off the medications Mm -hmm. with our goal of of getting you off one day. Again, this is me talking about type two. Type one is a whole nother category category. They need insulin. Um, but, you know, for our type twos, you know, if you're kind of in the single digits, it's fair to um, to kind of look at some lifestyle things. So what are some recommendations for lifestyle and things that we can and cannot eat when we have diabetes? Huh? <laughs> I think it depends. It's very patient specific. Um, but in terms of what we can not, I, I think the biggest thing is like portion control is what mm-hmm. I try to highlight, as well as I think trying to think of what's one thing that maybe contributes. So I think a big thing that contributes for a lot of patients is like drinks. So mm-hmm. we, we like our tea around here, um, our soda, um, or uh, our juice, you know, like apple juice, cranberry juice. We do like that a lot. Um, so I think cutting out small things like that, but let me rephrase that. It's not small to everyone. Right. So <laughs> for, I have one lady, she's like, I'm not giving up my creamer. <laughs> you know, so I think it just depends for the person what is the most doable. But I think the big things that contribute a lot is like portions, um, sweets, and then you know sugary drinks is a big thing, or maybe like over snacking, depending on what the snack is. Um, so I really just try to figure out what works best for them and really pick through and have a really in depth conversation in terms of what do we have for breakfast, lunch, dinner. And I, I know all y'all laugh at me in clinic when you're listening to my conversations because I'll be like, "All right, what'd you have for breakfast?" anything in between snacks. So like I get, we get really into the weeds in terms of what's going on so that we can better figure out what you can have and what maybe we could cut back a little bit on. Um, so I think it's very patient specific in terms of what we can and can't. Agreed. And, and, and also being clear on the things you can have. My favorite patient story is um, I had sent him to a diabetic educator um, and he was like, I've been doing everything they said, Dr. Kinsey. Um, they gave me a handout and I've been following it and his blood sugars were still running high in the morning. So after we talked, he, you know, they gave him portion sizes like mm-hmm. you can have this many grapes. You mm-hmm. can still have grapes, but you can have this many grapes mm-hmm. or, you know, a half a banana um, or this many orange slices and this many strawberries and and all those things well he just made a fruit salad he took the portions of each fruit poured them all in a bowl (laughs) counted it out counted out the grapes counted out the strawberries and had a huge fruit salad and so I was like I'm sorry man we got to pick one of the fruit this one that we want that morning and pick that portion and then once we did that we kind of got all of our blood sugars under control but all that to say is a good example as as, uh, Ha says about portion control and really you know I have the opportunity Speak with your doctor about, is there a nutritionist I can meet with, um, you know, to help me kind of really utilize um, my resources? You know, there are some programs, uh, especially for patients with prediabetes. We have one at um, at UMC that you can be enrolled in and, and they really kind of focus on 
how to eat healthy and have a diabetic diet. And, and I get to cheat a little bit because I have Ha in the clinic. So I'm like, Ha, can you go chat with them yes. a little bit um, about what we can and can't um, do? And I always tell people, don't everyone's mind goes directly to the sugars like mm-hmm. cake and cookies, but not forgetting those other carbs that sneak in on you too. I yeah. tell everybody, I love a Popeye's biscuit and I put a little Ooh, bit of honey good. on it and it's just wonderful. But we can't have it every day. So, you yeah. know, those types of things that people forget about. Yeah. Or like potatoes, mm-hmm. you know, we don't, I think what I generally say is if you can mush it, it's probably eventually going to turn into, you know, carbs and sugar and all of that. So, you know, cause you know, when I'm like, well, what veggies do you like? And they'll be like, well, like Miss Evelyn said earlier, like peas, I love peas, beans, you know? And I'm like, well, if you can mush it, it eventually turns into you know, sugar and it, it will spike our sugars. Huh, that's a good one. I've actually never thought of it that. <laughs> kind of hard to smush some broccoli, yeah. cauliflower, yeah. those types of things. So yeah. that's, that makes, or some lettuce. Yeah, you know, yeah. Kind of hard that's to smush. How you do your green beans, those probably could be mushed, but you know, so. So perfect. So there's definitely, so for patients, yes, some lifestyle modifications, modifying what we're eating and definitely increasing our exercise um, are some things that we can definitely do to help manage our diabetes. So what is usually the first go-to medicine, like first line? I feel like, you know, when I was going through um, medical school and starting my training, it was like metformin. You know, we did like everyone that was the first option. That's what everybody got. But it's changed now. It has. Yeah. Um, So I think also a lot of times we could probably go on a tangent about this, but I think sometimes the insurance company um, forces us to go a certain direction. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, evidence-based medicine gives us a lot of other um, options. So yes, I think metformin um, is still kind of the mainstay. I think we have more flexibility depending on the insurance provider and what they're willing to pay for, or if there's reasons why we can't take metformin, um, there's more opportunities to take other things or what might be, a, like you said earlier, sometimes we may have to start with insulin, but mm-hmm. I think nowadays we definitely still mainly start with metformin. Um, other ones that come to mind that sometimes could be moving into the space of being the first medication that we can try depending on the patient, something um, called like a GLP-1 receptor. Mm -hmm. Um, But that is an injectable. So I think it just depends on what the patient is comfortable with. Um, Like Miss Evelyn said earlier, some people are deathly afraid of injections. Um, So I try to gauge what they're comfortable with before being like, hey, well, this is another option that has a lot of other benefits besides just lowering your sugar. So that's kind of the, the new thing about these newer medicines is that they do more than just lower your blood sugar. And they might have, you know, provide a little bit of heart protection, kidney protection, things like that. So um, I think to answer your question, metformin is still basically the first one, but there are a lot of other options we can go to for the first one. And right. And the nice thing about metformin is, is it's fairly inexpensive. So yes. sometimes if you can't, you know, afford some of these newer medications that are out, it um, it still is a good affordable option for most patients. So why does it get such a bad rap? What is Metformin. it? Yes. Yeah, so what, you know, I get a lot of, um, they destroyed my relative's kidneys. It's mm. bad. Like, so, so tell us a little bit about um, metformin. Yeah. So I think generally how it works, it works in a couple different ways, but basically it helps your body optimize sugar, the breakdown of sugar better inside your body. Um, it has other mechanisms, but that's one of the ways that it works. Um, so, uh, in terms of like side effects, some people, um, you know, say that it helps or hinders, um, makes them go to the bathroom a lot. Mm -hmm. So they have diarrhea and it tears up their stomach and things like that. So sometimes that is a very big complaint, but I think sometimes how we 
combat that in clinic is that we do, um, there's an extended release metformin. So sometimes that's, that's a little bit easier on the stomach, or we want to make sure that we take metformin with food. Mm-hmm. Um, often that helps kind of lessen the side effects um, with metformin. Um, in terms of like the kidney aspect, um, there's metformin is mostly neutral in terms of if it like harms any kind of any part of the body. Um, the biggest thing that maybe how that comes up is that metformin is metabolized or eliminated via the kidneys. So mm-hmm. if we do have any previous impaired function or something going on with our kidneys for other reasons, it may be best not to pick metformin or be right. on metformin. But it shouldn't um, like hinder or har- start harming our kidneys in any way. Exactly. And so, and I tell patients, anytime we're on medications, making sure that you're getting your frequent lab work and going to your follow-ups. That's the big one when we're on medications. If your doctor wants to see you back in three months, make sure we're getting back in three months. You mm-hmm. know, it's mainly because we want to check on you and make sure everything is going well while you're on those particular medications. Now, the big one that seems to just, not seems, but it is. <laughs> I feel like each time I wake up, it's like on the on the news <laughs> are the GLP ones or the yeah. injectables. And, you know, as providers, we really like it because not only we have seen such great success in Mm -hmm. lowering our patients A1Cs and getting their diabetes under control, Mm -hmm. but it has a pill form as well as an injectable form. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, that's what I was referring to earlier is the GLP-1. So are things like Victoza, Trulicity, Ozempic. um, And then there's a newer one that recently came out that's a combination GLP-1, GIP. um, But that one's called Manjaro, but it does have uh, GLP-1. Um, uh, activity in it. Uh, it's just a combination. So, uh, and then you mentioned the oral one. So that one is ribalsis, which is the same as uh, Ozempic. Sorry, it's like alphabet soup. I know, seriously. <laughs> it's like we said all these words. <laughs> so uh, ribalsis or uh, oral semaglutide um, is uh, the oral formulation of um, Ozempic semaglutide. Mm-hmm. So um, it maybe not the same in terms of if we're hoping to lower A1C and do a bunch of other things such as like reduce weight and things like that. There are new there's new data coming out of ribalsis at higher doses to help with weight. Um, but right now the the ones that we have access to are not as um, potent in terms of lowering weight as our injectable medicine. And like you said, I, you brought up a good point in terms of GLP-1s have worked so well in lowering our blood sugars um, based, uh, compared to the other options that we have. It's just so hard not to not to go straight to that option because they work so well. Because like metformin in terms of lowering A1C, it might be you know, 1%, 1.5, maybe 1.2, you know, Mm -hmm. like it just depends on the person and what else they're doing in terms of lifestyle changes, you know, incorporating exercise, changing what they're eating. But GLP ones, I would say they get pretty, for sure, you'll get at least 1% lowering depending on, um, you know, what dose you're on. And if you're able to get to the maximum dose and things like that. So I think that's another thing to think about is like, it's not just one dose, it's a titration of doses. Um, So um, yeah. And then just kind of finding out really what works for you and having that conversation. And we spent a good bit of time just diving a little bit into diabetes, reminding our patients um, or listeners, not necessarily patients, listeners (laughs) or someone's patients. I hope if you don't have a doctor, you're out there trying to get you a primary care um, so that we can screen you for diabetes. And and as we mentioned before, about 23 percent of people are walking around or adults um, unaware that they might have it. So uh, I hope this show encourages someone to make sure that they 
they make sure they're getting che- that checked out. But we've got an opportunity, just as a reminder, uh, the most common thing most offices are using is an A1C to diagnose um, diabetes. And so uh, A1C greater than 6.5 and then prediabetes being 5.7 to 6.4 um, for that diagnosis. And so we've spent the last few minutes or so talking a little bit about the medications that are out there, really the most common ones. So metformin being the one that's one of the oldest things that we've been using for diabetes. Um, and then really kind of talking about the GLP-1s um, and the combo GLP-1, GIP, um, that are the newer injectables that are out there right now as well. Um, so in terms of the GLP-1s, just a little added in terms of, you know, something to that might come up or has come up in the news a lot Mm -hmm. is that some of its side effects in terms of um, causing nausea um, and um, like vomiting or just extreme, like, I don't want to use the wording because I don't feel like that's the most appropriate wording, but some people say stomach paralysis, Mm -hmm. which I, I don't a hundred percent agree with because so how the medication works is that it slows the basically the emptying of your stomach it slows gastric emptying so i think that's how it works so i don't think we can fully say it paralyzes your stomach it's a Mm -hmm. part of the mechanism of the medication um so and i think that's part of why it works so well because it makes us feel more full more quickly right and how it works so uh, it's a nice nice thing to I, i mean it'd be nice to have our natural feeling of hey i'm full but if something else is telling me that hey i'm full i should definitely stop eating so um but yeah so i think that's definitely a nice option after metformin Mm -hmm. um and then of course everyone's probably in terms of like accessing these medications it has been very difficult um to access these medications as some of us are probably aware um and i just want to bring up briefly because i know we talked about it on a different show but in terms of getting these medications, I would try to make sure that we're getting them from the pharmacy um, and in its original packaging. I know sometimes out there, um, there might be other formulations of the medicine being offered, but I would just to be safe for your, yourself, um, that I would make sure that it's coming from a, a pharmacy that and it's coming from the manufacturer and not being um, compounded. Exactly. And mainly, and, and we just kind of say caution towards those things because they're not as regulated as you know they're not you know looking for recalls on on compounded things and things of that nature and um, we do typically the ones that are coming through the pharmacy pharmacies or pharmaceutical companies are being looked at or being watched and monitoring those side effects and things of that nature and as you know the the labeling has changed a little bit as far as the warning on some of these medications because of that um, that they're being monitored and the ones that are available and other formulations are not as heavily regulated. So mm-hmm. that's why as physicians, we say caution. We're not trying to keep things away from you no. that, 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 you know, we think could be beneficial. It's just we can't with confidence say what all is in there because right. a lot of people like to say our proprietary blend, which means, you know, we can't tell you all that's in there. But, you know, um, so just use those kind of things with caution. And, you know, there are some other options, mm-hmm. you know, GL, um, T2s are another pill form that we have um, yeah. that that's usually that some patients will use um, yeah. as well. Jardians, Farsiga, yes. some of those ones, if you've got those pill bottles um, in your house, are, are wonderful options for a lot of patients as yeah. well. So the world of management of diabetes is forever growing. And so I just always just try to tell my patients to talk with your physician, talk with your pharmacist. Mm-hmm. They're, they're there. Um, um, we have a wonderful resource in our pharmacy, but like uh, Haas said, you have re- in your community yeah. talk to your your local pharmacies there as well mm-hmm. yeah. 
And I always say, if you're all nervous about what people have prescribed for you, and I tell my patients all the time, if you don't agree with something I did, tell me, like, don't just go home and not do it. And then we come back four months later and we're in the exact same place. Um, So I want everyone to hopefully feel comfortable with talking with their providers about what they're doing. Or if you hear something in the news about the medication you're on, you know, Call your doctor. I'll, I'll get people. I stopped that a month ago because uh, they like the when metformin had the huge recall that yeah. came out, and I had all my patients that just stopped it, and then they waited months before they came to see me. And I'm like, please call me because mm-hmm. we can talk about some other options for you. Because to me, sometimes you know things you're disease process getting out of control can be just as dangerous as mm-hmm. some of the things we're worried about with mm-hmm. the side effects with the medications. Yeah. Did you want to talk about any of those or did you want to go into maybe the um, what you're bringing up in terms of the complications? Maybe? Yeah, we can definitely uh, go over it. We've got a couple of minutes. So so just remembering um, as far as uh, diabetes, you know, we we care about it because we know that there's lots of complications that go along with diabetes. So a lot of my patients, understandably so, are worried about their kidneys. So, you know, mm-hmm. making sure you're following up with your doctor because we do know um, that there can be heart disease secondary to diabetes diabetes. Um, and you can also have eye problems with your eyes. It definitely can affect your eyes, affect your kidneys and your nervous system. So a lot of people that get neuropathy, that numbness, tingling, burning in your hands and feet um, when your diabetes is not controlled. So that's why sometimes on the front end, as I mentioned before, we try to be a little bit more aggressive about the management of diabetes. If you're coming in and your A1C is 12, and you're and we didn't get a chance to really dive into insulin. I feel like most people kind of know insulin is an option for diabetes. But if your diabetes is 12 and your doctor is encouraging you for insulin, it's not, you know, I'm not excited about putting my patients on insulin either. I will tell you guys that as well. But I'm trying to prevent a lot of these complications that mm-hmm. you can see. Yeah. And insulin works so well, like, you know, and it's very safe. It's been around. It's something that our body produces as well. So we know how it will work. And it's very, usually very predictable. So I think it's always a good option um, if we need to lower blood sugar, you know, safely and in a, in a timely manner. And it is available over the counter, correct, yes, as well? Yes, yes. Some stores have like a $25 program, and I know there's a lot of programs out there um, where we're trying to make insulin more uh, affordable. Well, definitely. Well, thank you, Ha, for coming yeah. and joining and talking about diabetes with us. Um, and so I thank my callers as well for listening in and calling today. Southern Remedy Women's Health is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting, Think Radio, and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from listeners like you. Today's show was engineered by Liz Gill. I'm Dr. Jasmine Kinsey. Join us next Friday at 11 for Southern Remedy Women's Health on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.